and welcome to Sonic Talk number 365. That's right, folks, we finally arrived at the day when you can listen to a, a episode of the show every day for a single year. So that's an hour of Sonic Talk a day. Uh, you can't watch them all on video because that goes back to uh, the days when we just used to do MP3. Uh, if you haven't watched this before or if you're listening on MP3, you do know we post this to YouTube now and uh, so you can watch the fulsome uh, live chat, live video. We've got a live chat room. If I can, I'll bring them in. I'll press the button and they can show up there. There we go. And, uh, and me and my guests. So I want to say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Uh, and also thanks to our show sponsors, Isotope, of course. I'll be giving away another copy of Iris, the Spectral Synth, and we'll be announcing the winner for last week's competition. Very generous, I must say. So I uh, look forward to uh, doing that. And that's, I think that's known as a teaser. We'll be uh, bringing that in a little bit later, but we thank them for their sponsorship of the show. But now we've got a full chat room. After a couple of weeks of sort of uh, smaller gatherings, we've gone for the full Monty, and we've got guests on that we haven't seen for quite some time. So I'm going to start... Well, I'll start with uh, the furthest away, who, of course, is Corey Banks, B-Boy Tech Report. Uh, Corey Banks is in charge of uh, spreading the word to uh, his community of... R&B and hip-hop, the way technology affects that in terms of musicality. How are you, Corey? Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Everything you're welcome. Well. I know we don't get a chance to see that often because you're on the uh, West Coast, which is, uh, you know, Dawn Raid kind of vibe. So uh, thank you for making the effort. I can see the sun streaming through your window there. Um, you yeah, said, you were yeah saying, it is. Is it too bright? I can. No, it's absolutely fine. We were saying um, before the show that you've also been up burning the midnight oil looking at uh, you got sent a modular item to review, right? Yeah. Um I got this here, uh, if you can see this. Ah, uh, the Pittsburgh. Yeah, Pittsburgh modular. And, and incidentally, a day later, um, this guy showed up. Ah, okay, yeah, I got one of those too. Oh, dear. Yeah. Trouble. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun, and it's uh, been robbing me of sleep, and you know, I'm sure that's not the last thing it'll rob me of. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> so this is your first exposure to modular, so now you're hooked, I'm guessing, right? You're going to hang on to it? Yep. You know, you know what the, the, the thing is, is I don't know a lot of hip-hop guys that use modular systems, and if they do, you just don't hear about it a lot. So um, my quest is to kind of, I guess, you know, show that it can be used in hip-hop production, and, and I've definitely been doing a lot of it in the few days that I've had it, so... You know, yeah, this is the first uh, uh, me wandering into the, the whole modular system. And, yeah, I just may keep it around. Excellent. Well, I'm glad that you've been bitten by the bug. And my commiserations to your family because uh, yeah, no all doubt. your available cash is going to go and you'll have no time to play with your kids or, you know, be nice to your partner. I, I mean, I, I'm just terribly sorry. But, but, you know, I'm sure in the interests of uh, music technology, it's great. Anyway, uh, yeah. We've also got Jem Godfrey. Look at him. Look at him. He's there. Finally. Hello, hello. Back again. Jem Godfrey, of course. Uh, in part of band Frost, sort of session keyboard player. Um, does a lot of music composition, history of uh, production, uh, pop music of that kind. And um, we don't see you very often either. So it's a bumper week for unexpected or uh, uh, guests that we haven't had for a while. So good to see you, Jem. Likewise. It's good to see you too. What have you been doing? 
Uh, what I've been doing, I've been generating lots of content for an app I can't talk about yet. Oh. Uh, I have been, I've been following on from Dave's thing last week. I was watching last week's podcast earlier. I've been, I've been buying Profit 600s as well. I've got two currently. Really? Um, I'm just trying to work out which one I like the look of more, and then I'm going to just tidy up the other one and then probably quietly shift it. Two, I've got uh, called Monopoly, or is it Monopoly? I uh, think oh, Monopoly. Man after my own heart. It's one of my favourite synthesizers. That is. <clears throat> so uh, that's that's just it's the fattest. It's it's a, it's the fattest thing ever. Well, and not it's only even that. Fatter than me a year ago. It's uh, not only that. It's it's fat, but it's not Moog over fat. You don't have to trim it down. You can sculpt it without having to mess around with EQ to get rid of half of it because it it doesn't hog the mix like a Moog does. Yeah, and also it's just it's just such a it's such a kind of characterful tone as well. It's very definitely cork, and it's built so beautifully as well. Yeah, I got one of those. I need mine. So, needs, mine needs fixing. I'm loving that. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad. I'm so glad. That's making that's made me very happy because not many people <laughs> get to play with one of those because they are. I don't know how rare they are, but they're just not. They're they're, they're somewhat overlooked. So I don't know. Um. So great. Good for you. Thank you. And we'll go to Mr. Robbie Bronneman over there in Robot Studios, which is looking very, uh, it's got a, a sort of uh, Berlin techno vibe to it today. It's got that sort of uh, blue blue light with uh, yeah. what I can see. It's interesting. It looks, the way that your modular is set up and the speaker behind it, it looks like the speaker is actually embedded in the side of the case. It looks really cool. Yeah. It's a great idea. Yeah. And what's that? Is that a, is that a Roland uh, drum machine? Is that a TR8 over there? Yeah, but it's um, a friend of mine from Roland, a guy called Dan Burton lent me it, and he's actually customised it with all vintage oh, Roland Oh, sweet. Oh. Yeah. That looks like off the uh, MEP5 uh, effects, doesn't it? That's, that's yeah. pretty. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, so he just lent it to me for a couple of weeks just to, just to see what I thought, cause I, um, just because he, he, he popped by the other day. So that's going to be a bit fun next week when we do our Sushi Friday. Oh, excellent. Of course, uh, Robbie, uh, not only MD for uh, Howard Jones, but also uh, part of the Sushi Friday music um, music duo who are kind of documenting the making of an album using a lot of analogue kit and sort of real-time jams. And uh, so I've got to ask you, how are you finding it? Have you, t- have you used it? Have you switched it on and, and tried it out yet, or have you had no chance? I turned it on yesterday, and I shoved it through some things that it probably should never be shoved through, like, like the audio damage grain delay and all that kind of thing. So I haven't really had a proper sensible play with it yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'm loving all the lights. I can't complain there. Excellent. <laughs> I'm very pleased. <laughs> yeah. I'll report back when I know more, something more meaningful. <laughs> Okay, cool. And finally, but not leastly, Gaz Williams over there in Bristol, uh, who's in his uh, Garrett bass player, extraordinaire music technologist, and you've been doing a lot of mixing, right, Gaz? Yep, been on a mixing job for the marvellous new William D. Drake album. Uh, He was formerly the keyboard player in Cardiacs, which... For those of you who know, Cardiacs are possibly the greatest cult band of all time. And for those of you who don't know, check them out straight away because they are, they've been going since the 70s, late 70s. And uh, just, they combined like classical music with punk. You know, it's a most bizarre combination of sounds. But um, Bill was the keyboard player in the classic lineup. Uh, and has been solo for the last sort of maybe 20 years, I think. Um, and I'm, 
I've gone from being a huge fan to working as like a producer for him. So it's a, for me, it's a, it's a great honor to be working with him. But uh, yeah, so doing mixing, um, mixing the album, the album was recorded by some other people and um, it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's a real pleasure to come in at this stage and just to be kind of the beautiful recordings. So, so to be mixing is a real, it's a real pleasure, pleasure and a privilege. What are you mixing in? I have interest. What's the environment you're using? Cubase. Oh, okay. And, and I have to say that the visibility thing in Cubase, you know, if you're working with a small fader bank, like eight faders or whatever, um, the visibility thing is wonderful in Cubase. You basically now can just go select a track, select a track, you know, so I want the kick drum, I want the bass guitar, I want the piano, and then I've just got a shortcut key, bang, and then my mixer is just displaying those, but also my my screen is only displaying those as well. Oh, so like so, grouping shortcuts? No, well, kind of, but my arrangement screen is only showing the three tracks, so everything else is gone. My mixer screen is only showing the three tracks as well, and, it, and my control surfaces are following that as well. And it's all in one shortcut, so I just go select, 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 bang, and then it just simplifies the mix. So rather than always looking at many, many tracks, you just only ever look at what you ever need to see. And it's a, it's a brilliant way of working. Um, and I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I guess I'm you... also... Oh, yeah, well, carry on. I've also enjoyed working in Chris Powell's studio. It's a brand new studio built in Bristol. And it's all, it's like a low-riding studio. And I think it's the future, you know. It's all beanbags. We're just sitting back, reclining on beanbags. <laughs> giant, giant ATT monitors minimal no else no other equipment just a few little control surfaces <coughs> lay it laying back <laughs> right laying right back on the bean bags and mixing and it's a beautiful way of working because i think music is just such a relaxing you know or it, it should be uh so relaxing just a few control surfaces as i say select whatever tracks bang i'm only ever dealing with what I'm currently dealing with, I think for the head and the soul, I think it's really, sounds very it's interesting. Really, really crucial. That sounds like a very interesting way to work. Well, Gaz, um, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, let's get on with our topics then. Um, the first one is, uh, oh yeah, how could I forget? <laughs> I'm Dave Smith. Last year, we introduced what I called my best synth yet, the Prophet 12. This year, we set out to make the ultimate monosynth, and the result is the new Pro 2. It's not just one voice of the Prophet 12, though, so let's take a look. It retains the same great ergonomics and playability, but... Oh, cool. I'm not going to play all of this, but we did speculate. There was, uh, we were in the midst of the teaser campaign last week as to what uh, the new Dave Smith synth would be. And uh, we thought maybe an FM synth, rather jokingly. And uh, there was also the thought it would be a new updated Pro 1. And I'm guessing it sort of is, although it has very little else to do with the Pro 1, apart from, I guess, it's got a sequencer on it. But uh, who'd have thunk it? It's like, you know, another... It's a big a big old uh, mono synth. Well, paraphonic, as everybody seems to be doing now. Um, thoughts? Robbie, you're a, you're a fan of Dave Smith. Yeah. And uh, what are you thinking about this? Yeah, I'm liking it, and it's funny because I was just chatting to them last week, I'm and Aring, whether I was going to get rid of my Profit 8 and get the, the Profit 8 module and the Pro Profit 12 module because I haven't got a lot of space for more big five-octave synths and stuff. But I think I might just be able to squeeze <laughs> another three-octave synth in. 
<laughs> so no, I'm, I'm liking it. I'm liking it. I think it make a great partner to what I've got, and um, I, I love the, the sequencer on it. That seems like really inspirational to work with. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I'm very, very, very excited to see it. I think we'll probably drop in and see them on tour because we're playing San Francisco, and we usually try and go and see them at their offices. So. I'll go and get out, go and have a little look at it then. Nice. That sounds yeah. like great fun. So what is it about it specifically that uh, you think it's got that you might need that you don't already have? Um, I just like the, I like the idea. I mean, obviously, with the Prophet 8, you've got much more of a traditional analogue signal path. And I have got the mono involver keyboard as well. But I like, after playing with the Howard's Prophet 12, I really liked the kind of gnarly sounds you could get from those digital oscillators. So um, yeah, I think I think it I think it's probably a nice compliment to those two. Mm. So yeah, that's, and it's and they, the Prophet Twelve is such a lovely instrument. It's built so nicely, and this is obviously just looks like a kind of squashed down version. So um, yeah, yeah, very good. Thrilling. That's uh, yeah, be really I... cool. The only thing I thought would be really cool would be if you could program a Prophet Twelve module from this keyboard. That'd yeah, nice. well, I think a lot of them will do uh, CC out, but you probably have to do a yeah. bit of mapping and stuff. I'm not sure. Yeah. Corey, you've, uh, do I see some Dave Smith equipment in your studio somewhere, or do, am I... Uh, yeah, uh, it's the, uh, the Prophet 8. Ah, it's okay. A, it's, it's a new addition, because um, I have a, a few monosense, and I wanted something that was uh, polyphonic. So, you know, that keeps happening to me, though. I got a Voyager, and then the Sub-37 was announced and you know although i'd like the voyager i, I kind of looked at the sub 37 like oh check that out <laughs> so now i got the the profit eight and the p1 is there but the there's a p12 and stuff uh so yeah i think it's sound and and i know that they're a bit different because that one has a kind of you know digital signal path or what is it digital digital oscillators or something like digital oscillators so um it's obviously a little different, but I'm interested to check it out. I'd like the, you know, it's kind of compact. Um, sounds like it has a huge sound, and it has a lot of little tricks up its sleeve. So um, I'd be interested to check it out at some point. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about you, Jam? I mean, you're a player, so I mean, this is obviously going to be geared up for that kind of classic. You know, it's the, the, the actual to be able to play a monosynth is actually, you know, a, a, not an inconsiderable talent. I mean, do you find, you know, with the uh, Monopoly and your other uh, stuff that you're actually kind of thinking in terms of performance, would this fulfil your needs? Are you are you tempted? I can see a space uh, they fit in. I've already got a Pro 12, so... Um, ah! Kind of, I mean, that, and I love that. It's just it's a huge, big sort of slab of a thing. And it is, as, as Robbie was saying, it's so beautifully built. And now you've got like, the resonator in it, which makes everything just like go... Yeah, and it's, it's just it's a fantastically filthy dirty synth so I just see this as kind of being a continuation of that really and I think it's it's as, as you said everyone seems to be doing paraphonic synths at the moment and I think there's that you know it's lovely it's nice to move beyond it just being a monosynth you, you want to have that like the monopoly as well. um, so uh, yeah I mean it looks great I think it's a good size I think um, it's you know if you don't want to have the big old real estate as well. Yeah. Well, it'll do the uh, paraphonic side of things, so you get, which everybody seems to be doing now. It's kind of the latest thing. But the other thing that's very interesting about it is the kind of character effects. And I'm guessing there's the 12 have that as well, which are kind of sort of overall tonal characteristic shapings. I mean, almost, you know, yeah. like, like, I mean, and effects. I mean, do you find you use that a lot in in working with sounds? Yeah, definitely. It's, kind of, it's almost like the thing I use the most because you can silence the because it's got the ribbons, it's two little ribbon things as well from the Tempest, I think it is. And that, it's amazing how much control you get using those. They're like the air and the girth and all that kind of stuff. 
Girth. Girth. <laughs> girth. It's a good, good analogue word, girth, isn't it? It's a marvellous analogue word. So, yeah, it's, it's, I think, it, just in terms of control, um, it's brilliant, because you can take a really simple sound, but then just because of all the extra elements, the decibator and all the things you can add to it, within no time at all, you've got this really, you know, chunky sound to work with. And I think if that was in a monosynth format, that's brilliant. Mm, yeah, I mean, it's quite similar, because the um, I've just... I've just put out the review, uh, part one of the review of the Roland Iris System 1. And that's got, you know, it's got a tone control, which I'm sure is doing more than just <clears throat> bass and treble. It really affects the character of the sound. You can bring it down to be sort of more girth-like or more fizz, or, <clears throat> excuse me, fizz and airy-like. I'm wondering if that's something, a trend that we're seeing in the same way that we're seeing, you know, paraphonic is starting to happen a lot more, whether we're going to see tone shaping that's that's kind of almost like character-specific, broader strokes that you can apply that are uh, uh, manufacturer-centric, if you see what I mean. I know, um, Gaz, are you feeling an urge again? You know, I know you how you like to buy new synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> um, ah, well, I, I'm kind of interested in the System 1, actually. I think uh, this pro the profit looks great, but, I mean, I think it's out of my price budget, really, for, for synths. Um, and, you know... I really should be sort of getting on with the ones I've got here. But the Roland, I mean, you know, because I know I've been a big fan of the, uh, the Gaia for, for its faults. I love the I love the programmability of the Gaia, and I really find it's a, a synth I turn to often because of the ease of use. What did you think with the System 1 in that respect? Did you find that the layout of it was good? I know you've done a review of it, but I'm... I'm... Um, yes, well, actually... Um... I think the layout is fine. I mean, it's always nice to have a synth with sort of knob per function kind of functionality because you could just zoom around it very quickly and it's a very familiar control layout. There's nothing kind of that, where's this, where's that. The only thing it has is only got a single LFO and you can only modulate all of the oscillators and the sub together. You can't say, for instance, sync the oscillators and then modulate one of them. Wow, okay. You know, you could turn down oscillator two or oscillator one and modulate the only one that's oscillator tube and that sort of stuff is like yeah you know that those are the sort of thing the little nuances that kind of take it to a different level i mean it's not it's not a bad synthesizer and i love the fact that it's got a delay included because i think it's a and I, I probably mentioned that last week as well um so you know for the pro but it's a completely different league in price isn't it it's like four mm -hmm. five hundred quid just under five hundred quid probably be a bit less once it's finally hit the deck and um, there is actually uh also a plug out coming for that which i think tomorrow there's going to be a live event uh at ssr which is mike greig who's been on the show a couple of times they're unveiling the sh101 which is the first plug out module that's going to be mm. for and as soon as that's kind of hit that i'm going to be getting that and, and try it in here and then i'm going to do another review which will have more about the sort of midi cc the sequencer and all the other stuff and see how the plug out kind of thing works so i wouldn't i would I, i'm not against it and i enjoyed it you know it's one of those things that you like the guy you can reach for and go oh i just want to try that and you just do it you don't have to kind of go oh wait where's that in the menu and and, and that i think people who kind of perhaps don't value that so highly because they may be used to more presets rather than programming that i think that's a really quite a big factor um in terms of making an instrument an instrument you know because you, if you've got a menu dive it's like gem uh, i think hasn't the um the poly 600 uh, sorry the, the the profit 600 got um a bit of menu diving or is it or knob per function i can't remember now no, it's just, um, it's no screen or anything. It's just not a function. Right, okay. I couldn't remember because I know there's one. Maybe it's the six track. 
I couldn't remember. Uh, yeah, the six track's got it. I, I, I'd move it over, but it's in. It's yeah, in no, bits. it's plugged in. That's fair enough. You could look at it and we could just imagine it's there. In fact, I was, uh, my Schmidt over here, I can't possibly move that. It's much too heavy. So. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Clang. Um, the one thing I would say, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because we got the DSi Pro 2. So what's next? We're going to have the seven track, uh, the Profit T9. There's, there's, he could still, still got a lot of places he can go, isn't there? There's uh, the Profit 7. Or if he wanted it, he could profit 601, and then you got you can iterate up like endlessly with those. So you can mine that sort of forever, pretty much. I would say. Do a new VS profit VS, you know, get him to. I'd be interested to see what he does with more along the digital and analog yeah. combination. You know, what would that sample? be? A pro- that would be a yeah, profit. Kind of, what do you think, profit YS <laughs> or, or profit <laughs> VT? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. I mean, I think we're seeing more and more of this digital controlled analog. Yeah, and that's it's that's the, the area that I am really interested in. You know, uh, the, uh, electron analog keys, for instance, just the amount of control you've got is, you know, it's it's a very exciting. So, I, I'm I'm intrigued to see people like Dave Smith, you know, take the that marriage further. Yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. But I think I- we will see Dave Smith going in that direction a lot. When I talk to him. Um, at NAM, that's just kind of where he was coming from. Like he's like, I know everybody loves all of the classic analog stuff, all the stuff from you know 20, 30 years ago. But he says he's more interested in doing new things with combining the two worlds and all the great new technology. So <clears throat> I can easily see that being a direction he's going in and, and where he's going to go with new products and stuff. We'll probably see a lot more of that. As we can see with with his last couple products. Yeah, although if you uh, if you've looked at the uh, pro um, the video that for the Pro Two, at one point he's saying because it's got CV in and out on four channels of CVIO, which is really interesting to me. Um, but if you notice, there was a shot of a Dave Smith Instruments module yeah. in the Eurorack, which everybody just went, mm-hmm. "Wow, this is amazing!" <laughs> I don't know, Robbie. That's that's is that something you're going to pick up when you head to San Francisco? <laughs> Oh, I don't know. You know, I've got this. I've got this ridiculously. I don't know what it is. Obsession about getting a Moog source. I've had it for about four years. I, I look at eBay every other week, looking for a Moog source that's in good condition. I don't know why I want this Moog source. I just love the look of it. I know what and you I mean. Know basically, I know basically it's what I've got in a Voyager. But I just every time I'm just always thinking, oh, I just love a Moog source. And then there's, I just think, what do I want this Moog source? It's like, it's, there's something of a speak and spell about it, isn't there? It's yeah, got the I know. Ser- it's just, yeah. And I, they're never in good condition, really, because all the, all the aluminium coatings flaking off. And I just can't deal with something like that. So No. That's yeah. going to be your, your life's work, I think, finding one of those. The thing I liked about it is that data wheel on it is just sort of heft. It's got this kind of... It, inertia to it so you spin it and it's it's got like this momentum i've got a cushion yeah oh awesome that is great (laughs) (laughs) where'd you get that man that's brilliant (laughs) that was from that was from etsy the website they do like a whole range of that is just other ones that's fab yeah yeah that might be have have to be it that is really cool yes they're called soft machines and I imagine, uh, n- knowing how strong Moog are on the uh, branding issue, they've probably been—you probably can't get them anymore unless they oh, license. I, I, I always—I I sit on it and think, oh, one day I'll have one. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's great. That's a great substitute, though. I'm very happy for yeah. you. And yeah. also, it looks like it's got the same keyboard action as System One. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yes, well, there <laughs> is that. The, uh, I, I should... Let me, if I just bring the uh, System 1 into play, I can show you what keyboard action the System 1 has, which is very shallow travel, but it's, it, it's, got, it's got no velocity, so it's not really an issue. So it's not like there needs any feel because it's just basically just off on. So there is no uh, no velocity on this system one, um, you know. So you're not missing out on anything, I suppose. There and it's not hard to play. You know, it's it's a nice it's a nice playing surface. It's fine, you know. Um, but then I'm not really much of a um, a keyboard player, so it probably wouldn't bother me either way. I mean, where where I draw the line is the touch keyboard on the Monotron. You know, that, that's that's where I kind of think, yeah, that's that ain't gonna work for me. Um, let me have a look. Right, so uh, anyway, uh, what I should probably do is uh, say thank you to our sponsors at this point because right now we're obviously going to, after the ad, we announce the winner of the competition and we're going to set a new one. So in the meantime, talk amongst yourselves. I'm just going to play uh, a note from our sponsors. At least that's the idea. Go on then. There we are. Isotope, of course. Isotope, continued sponsor of the Sonic Talk podcast. We very much appreciate it. Iris, in fact, does have a connection with the show because uh, we were discussing uh, RX3 and we thought, thought about a synthesizer that using that technology. And this is kind of partly uh, due to our speculation. It's a natural, intuitive selection tool. You can manipulate your audio visually and see an image of your sound and draw and select individual events. Works on samples up to four layers, multiple loops. You can sound sculpt and draw warm, lush filters, delays, reverbs, chorus and distortions for each layer. Uh, it's basically a visual instrument that's perfect for insp- inspiration and sonic experimentation. Um, there are plenty of sound libraries as well. You can mix the sound of wood, glass, food, toys or found sounds anywhere you like as well as crazy modular synths and pitch percussion with the Iris expansion pack. You can get a free 10-day trial at isotope.com forward slash iris. Well worth checking out. It's a very different way of working with sound and really awesome. And in fact... As you know, where Iris uh, Isotope are giving away competition uh, prizes every week, and this week again is uh, you get a copy of Iris. But last week's winner, let me just scroll down, uh, is a chap called Fifteenth Sign, uh, a Twitter user at Fifteenth Sign. Uh, he tweeted uh, the hashtags and uh, mentioned both of us. I want to congratulate him for winning. If he just gets in touch with me, I could get the Isotope fairy to email him his prize. But this week. The prize is the same. You can win Isotope Iris. Uh, what you need to do, you need to be on Twitter. You need to send out the hashtag sound design. Don't forget the two Ds in there to at Sonic Nick and at Isotope Inc. Uh, I've got a little f- sort of search filter that's following that and I capture all the entries and then we pick a random winner from that. So if you want to win Isotope Iris, it's a full version of Iris, by the way. It's not, you know, not a demo or anything. Send at sound, sorry, the hashtag Sound design at Sonic Nick and at Isotope. And please, if you've got spare, com- uh, you will have a few spare characters there. So add a comment. You know, it's always nice to have feedback with it as well. So once again, we thank Isotope for their sponsorship of the show. I'll just mention that at the end of the show as well, just before we go. So if you didn't catch it, but congratulations to 15th Sign for winning this week. Right, what is next? Um, la, 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 la. Oh, yeah, touring. 
not like it used to be, eh? This is quite an interesting idea because I, I think uh, there's an article on um, that's actually titled the, the Hidden Benefits of Going Broke on Tour. This is by Michael Corcoran on uh, Sonic Bid's blog, which is quite an interesting uh, blog. And it's just sort of came into my uh, field of vision through uh, one of the Reddits that I check regularly. Uh, CEO of MusicSubmit.com, an internet promotion and publicity for... So I'm guessing he's got a vested interest. But it's an interesting point. Uh, and essentially the sort of thesis is... There's sort of that whole notion of getting in the back of the van and touring to build your fan base is sort of obsolete, you know, at a low level because you probably do just as well having a Facebook page and social media and posting a few videos on YouTube in terms of gathering your fans. And then the trick really is to figure out where they are and go to them rather than just schlep around the country and just kind of hope that somebody shows up. Because, I mean, these days there's nothing really as uh, dull as going to all that effort and playing to, you know half a room or less of people who weren't really interested they're only there for the main band and now you know i'm guessing this is perhaps uh, well i think we go to you robbie because you're touring at a high level you know the sort of gigs you're playing are kind of areniums halls that sort of stuff i mean do you does that get worked does that work you work it with the social you know how are those tours planned yeah i mean it's 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 true i mean gigging gigging is hard for anybody on any level really i mean apart from you know the very small, like one percent of people who are going to always fill out stadiums and arenas, etc. But I mean, it's it's a real art putting together a tour and making a tour not lose money for anybody. You know, it's there's so many factors that are involved, um, and it is important that you do you do you know work out places where you've particularly got very strong fan bases. There's certainly I know with Howard, there's certain places in America we go to. Um, like I like places like Salt Lake City and various places like that, where he's got exponentially more fans than other places, and we can sell out places there that we wouldn't do perhaps if we went to somewhere like I don't know New York or whatever. So I think it is very it's it's a it's a very savvy way of looking at touring. Um, but I mean, it is very difficult on whatever level touring, you know, to just to make the figures add up. Um, and um, you know, it you you don't want to be in that position where you are just hemorrhaging money all the time touring you have to have a reason for doing it yeah almost definitely and i guess yeah. i know you kind of do a number of gigs and you've toured at higher levels but i mean there are got to be benefits to a low level tour as well because i mean it bonds the band and it does there are elements aspects to it that are um a great advantage to a, a group of kind of upcoming musicians right yeah and i think the that article kind of rightly sort of puts it that if you can deal with with that kind of situation, which can be so grim. I mean, <laughs> oh, I never God. forget your tour, your story of the dog's ass on your face in the tour van. That oh. was just awesome. And the rest, you know, and the rest and years and years of it. So, um, you do definitely learn to be less fussy about stuff when you do that when you when you do it the hard way but it makes doing having nice gigs all all the more worth it though um but what i notice especially is uh if you do low level gigs in europe you get treated so much better than low level gigs in in britain oh it's you know the low level gigs in britain you can drive a long way get you know not even a not even a drink or anything you know nothing no fee, no food, no drink, nothing. No thanks, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> no so you want to sack, sack your agent. You want to sack your agent, yeah. Um, so, you know, so but really it, you, 
the company of your of your of your bandmates is everything on those things. So, That's sort you know, of yeah. As a way of developing those relationships and just living much more communally. Um, but we have a word that we use when we're on tour, um, and and it's all the food that you get from garages, uh, service stations, and the like. We just call it chod. <laughs> C-H-O-D, and the chod bill on a small tour can just get into the into the low millions, I swear. It's, uh... <laughs> well, because you're coming back from a gig in the middle of the night, there is nothing else but a service station. The SO pasty is all you have at your disposal, I'm guessing that can happen, right? Well, and the, and the Costa Coffee takeover that's happening in Britain at the yeah. moment, you know. Six, six Costa Coffees. It's you get accosted by a Costa Coffee now. It's like <laughs> <laughs> low nutrition. That's so M and S and services. That's, that's true. Content, that's true. I know, um, Corey. I don't know how it is in the states because obviously you've got a much bigger landmass and longer distances to travel. I mean, how, I, I guessing from a kind of hip hop point of view, there's probably a lot less stuff to carry around because traditionally the shows are kind of more playback and live mics kind of centric. I mean, that's a massive generalisation. But generally speaking, I mean, is touring happening so much there or is it falling away? Well, you know what? There's a there's there's this this thing that happens. So there's like kind of like the underground superheroes kind of. Um, so you got guys that are not signed to major labels, but they're the independent hip hop guys. They're touring a lot. They're, they're making a lot of money touring. Um, but then you have obviously like the mainstream guys at a major label, and they you know they do massive world tours. But when it comes to sort of like the underground heroes, there's a lot of um, small clubs or medium sized clubs or maybe house of blues type of places, which. Um, aren't as, as big as we may think they are as far as sizes and most of sure. So, I mean, it's a lot of it going around, but, you know, like like you said, a hip-hop setup, I mean, what do you have? A DJ, a couple guys on the mic, and maybe a keyboard player nowadays because there's, you know, a lot of that going on. But, you know, when I, when I was doing a lot of shows, um, being from Chicago, I've done a lot of clubs and decent-sized places in Chicago, so uh, I had a band, and it was sort of like The Roots. So it was a hip-hop band. And that is just a headache. Although I love being with the guys and that there's this organic kind of synergy of it. Um, and I even had the same kind of setup when I moved to L.A. initially. But, um, you know, that touring and doing shows, just moving around in, in California as long and as, as big as it is, that, that's such a headache. I don't know how people do it <laughs> on a regular basis. I mean, it was becoming a headache. I had a lot better time when I pared it down just to me and a DJ. Right. And I see why that's usually a setup, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't know how people do that. And I guess it's, the point is, if you've got a, if you've got a small setup, uh, well, I mean, you either need to do if you just do occasional gigs, then it's really hard to hold on to personnel. At least if you're on tour, they can't get away, <laughs> and they can't. Yeah, that's sort of, right. <laughs> you've got yeah, they're sort of captive. I know, Jem, you've done quite a lot of you know big sort of touring stuff as well. I mean, but presumably at some point in your career it wasn't always like that you know what do you see much of that going on at a kind of roots level now in the uk it seems to be less so right no yeah i think um because obviously my band being a prog rock band that most popular music form um you kind of it's 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 pretty it's kind of pretty tough to do it now and just going on with what gaz was saying about um chod the 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 downside, there's also terrible health benefits of, of touring. Like, just three, four days of eating chod, suddenly it's all spots and pimples and God knows what else. It's kind of, 
I just find it massively demoralising, certainly touring in the UK or gigging in the UK, just because it's 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 such a thankless task at that level. You know, um, I'm quite depressed just talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, surely I, I guess maybe maybe European wide and larger land masses, it makes sense to have that kind of social media kind of network and figure out where people are and go to them and say right, you know, because you could almost, I mean, there are bands that do it, don't they? They do a Kickstart campaign and say right, we're going to do a tour, we're going to get enough people to sort of pre-buy to means that we can you know hire the de- you know hire the van or whatever or or make us commit to it and then we'll go out and then they use the social media to get around to those places. I mean, that's the sort of thing that means you can work smarter at a higher level i mean obviously with stuff like a prog band you've got a lot of kit i mean you know you can't possibly gig with, <laughs> you can't possibly gig without uh, 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 at least two a-frame multi-tier keyboard rigs surely well actually i i try and keep it to just a chronos actually because it's just that it just it's just that thing of, of i want to be the, the the member of the band that doesn't you know it's normally the drummer that's, that's still there setting down after i'm like 25 miles up the m25 it's just that thing of of it's about working smarter at that at that sort of level because you've got to you know it's it the, the practicality of doing gigs is you really want to sort of get in get the job done and get out and if you if, if you want to make it as painless as possible yeah um as much as possible because we don't it's, we're certainly at the level we're at we don't have a tour manager we come up on it ourselves it's a little bit um a bit blue peter <laughs> <laughs> smashing i just want to say uh, rich hilton's in the chat room and he was mentioning that uh oh if i uh there we go if you're not if you're not doing it for love at this point then you're not going to keep doing it and uh, he's saying that his you know his kids uh, are touring and they have to sort of sleep in you know they have a band sleep in his living room people sleep in the car or something in fact i remember a gig um I did a gig in uh, South Wales at, uh, uh, oh gosh, where were Port Talbot at, uh, I forget the name of the club, the one that's under the flyover. And uh, the car broke down on the way back and uh, we got towed into the outskirts of Cardiff. And uh, it was a little, a, a compact car. And we had a 15-inch base rig in the back, and then all the seats were really far forward. And we just got left there outside the garage, which was going to open in about four hours. And we fell asleep. We had to we had to sleep in the front seats of this car. And, uh, and we were woken up by the bin men who were sort of tapping on because we all had our stage clothes on and looked like back in the day when you actually bothered dressing up. You know, we looked like a bunch of nutters. And that's my. I mean, I did do a bit of that touring, but yes, I think um, there's not. It, there's just less money in it, which is surprising, really, because the cost of you know alcohol and uh, the, the the other stuff that they can make and, and ticket sales and stuff, I'm sure it must be going up. But everything else is just not so. So it's hard to um, find make to, to find the finance. I think mm, cost of fuel's gone up a third in five years, hasn't it? Yeah, More well, there's less. that too. If you're doing long distance, then that's really really tough, really tough, definitely. Yeah. Anyway. Um, it's not all depressing, though. Um, there are some good good news stories, and anyway, here, but, but on the on the plus side, um, there are some very creative individuals who are using uh, the internet medium to uh, do stuff like this. Oh, look, it's a profit six track, D- DSI six track. Yeah. This is uh, Twenty Sill. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that French producer, uh, and this is the video for his track Kadoma, uh, I think it's called. OP1 there. I like to think they are actually performing this live, and this isn't actually just being made. Just a brilliant video. I'm not going to play much of it because I keep getting busted for this. I keep getting busted by YouTube, who are actually 
tightening the screws on all their copyright stuff. This is news, right? It's a promotional video. I'm using it to discuss the band, and I, and I still get busted for it. It makes me so cross. But anyway, awesome stuff. And, you know, it does require quite a lot of inventiveness. I don't know, I mean, because from an outside point of view, I mean, I, I don't really operate in the hip-hop world, but it seems like, you know, a lot of times the videos are perhaps not as creative as that in many ways. It's like a kind of performance thing. I mean, it, I guess you get the excitement or what have you, but that was great, wasn't it? It was just a brilliant idea. And I wonder That was if, really dope. Yeah, yeah. I love what they were doing right there. I'm going to have to go watch the whole thing. That was dope. Um, I mean, it sounded dope. It looked interesting. And, you know, it, it's kind of like watching, almost like watching an action movie where there's something going on over there, there's something going on over there. Like the Transformers fighting, that video was kind of like <laughs> <laughs> like that. There's a little action at every bit of the screen. I liked it. it yeah, no, it's, it's really cool. If you want to check it out, there's uh, the... It's 20 sil. That's 20 two zero SYL French uh, producer kind of creative. And the, the video is directed by a bloke who's got the best name called Matthew Ledood. I just think that is flipping awesome. <laughs> I know, uh, Robbie, have you kind of, I mean, cause you're, you're doing uh, as well as the stuff you do with, uh, um, Howard, you know, that you, a lot yeah. of the stuff you're doing is kind of high pop as well, or certainly stuff that would have videos funded for. Do you ever get involved in the kind of conceptual aspect of the videos or is it, you know, you out the door and that's your, that's it. No, sometimes independent artists, though, I, I mean, I work with, they do ask my advice and stuff like that, and I do like to try and sort of give them any kind of input, um, you know, because everybody, you know, particularly if, if they're not linked to a label, you know, they're wanting to get get as much as they can from whoever they can, you know, in terms of advice. So sometimes I get stuck in and give people ideas. Um, I'm, I, I get really hot on artwork because I, I would have trained as a graphic designer if I hadn't done music, so I, I'm the font police. <laughs> so I, I'm always very happy oh, to, no. to, to wade in about fonts and stuff and artwork with uh, people. Is the Eurostyle font in your lower third acceptable to you? <laughs> it seems to be coming back into fashion now. The, uh, yeah, you know, so anyway, yeah, no, but yeah, I mean, I, I do like to... I'm working with a guy at the moment, he's getting this really great girl from um, South Africa to do him an animated video, and it's really good. Um, she's, you know, she's just up and coming. But um, yeah, it's great there's so many people out there uh, grassroots level doing great video stuff i think yeah and it's so much easier to do with the uh, availability of all this stuff i uh, guess you've shot your own videos haven't you for the, for the uh, rumbelows and, and presumably other projects as well i mean it's just easy to kind of get creative and get it done as well that's part of the thing isn't it yeah i mean you know multi-camera shoots with everybody's phones <laughs> it's it's uh it's yeah it's very doable now i mean um it's just uh there needs to be some um i least i think the when you're making multi-camera shoots now is there an app that can just send that can make everything record and everything That's sync <laughs> what sync, recording yes. sync so, well yeah, uh, like, like so one i so one phone could be just the 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 starts and stops the because the the, the the amount of storage on those devices is generally quite limited so it'd be just nice just to have one remote I don't know. Does that exist? That's, I don't know if it does, but that's a great idea. So you just have a record hmm. button. Um, yeah. Bluetooth, everything starts recording. Yeah. Or what would be, be really cool is if it all had an app on it as well, so that it hit record, but what happened is it just went three, two, one, and then they all went in, so they had time to synchronise. That's a great idea. Um, 
I know that there are there, there have been kind of attempts at doing multi-camera stuff with I, certainly iOS devices because the cameras in those are, are you know as we know are pretty good. But I don't know about by that. I mean, what also is useful to just be able to synchronise the bloody things as well, so that you know because obviously you can't do that with uh, without time code and stuff unless you've got apps that are designed to sync the audio. I don't know. Jem, you made any videos? Uh, not once for broadcast. <laughs> <laughs> Good lord. Uh, yeah, no, I've actually, I've, uh, we, the band we shot a DVD um, Christmas before last at Rockfield, if that counts. So that was a multi-camera thing. But that was more of a performance. Before, yeah, but that uh, makes sense, doesn't it? Because you're all there, you're all doing your thing, and then you just kind of, yeah. It's kind of the quickest way of doing it, really, although it took about six months to put together. But it's just, it's, it's uh, yeah, I, I kind of, it's, it's a bit of a, um, I have a bit of a fear of it. I should kind of conquer that fear, really, because it's that kind of... I, I end up sort of thinking, oh, you know, I'm a studio person, and you have to kind of do the performing thing, and I think you have, there's a different mindset as to switch in. And also working with people filming you, it's quite... It's, I, can, it's bizarre. I can go on stage in front of you know, a couple of thousand people and be fine, but if there's, like, two guys with a camera, I'm a bit like... So it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's trying to kind of get over the fear of being filmed. Yeah, red light fever from a video point of yeah. view is definitely very different to uh, to to anything else. In fact, we've just we just I was just saying we just acquired this camera here, which is uh, unfortunately not quite as advertised, but still great. So a full HD robotic pan tilt zoom with uh, oh, wow. with HDMI and SD out. But sadly, the, the, because we went for the cheaper model, it doesn't it doesn't have uh, full manual control. So you know, if you move the shot, the colour changes, and that's a bit of a drag. But uh, we're getting there. But anyway, yeah. As, I mean, I'm massively into video, obviously, because it's it's part of what we do here uh, to a great degree. But uh, yeah, if you want to check that out, there's a new mo. There's an EP. It's from the EP Motifs, which uh, I don't think is a reference to the Yamaha keyboards. Looking at that video, there were no Yamahas in it, so I'm guessing definitely not. Uh, but yes, if you spotted, there was an uh, Akai MPC XL 6-track, uh, OP1, uh, Moga Foga pedal, and various other sort of interchangeable bits of equipment, including a, uh, a bowl of M&Ms, which I think every, uh, every video should probably, um, should probably have it anyway. Um, okay, we've got a couple. Maybe we could do a couple more. Here, what's the time? Yeah, we've got plenty of time. Right, uh, this one was good. Um, I'm going to hit the go. Trigger Finger Pro, so the M Audio uh, new kind of control surface, beats orientated, got a sequencer built in and stuff. I know it was announced some time back. We may have talked about it, but I've had it in for review recently, and uh, I'm just kind of intrigued to know how it's being accepted, really, because obviously we know that uh, Corey, with the in the hip hop community, there's MPC is kind of king, isn't it, in terms of composition. And I, yeah, I mean, without a doubt. It's the golden standard. And is it purely the interface or is it the samples? I mean, because obviously the pad interface, there's, you know, you've got the uh, all the other IMPC and various other MPCs that don't actually have the uh, brains inside it. They just control. And Trigger Finger Pro was also a huge, one of the first, well, the Trigger Finger, the original, was probably the, one of the the first sort of beats-orientated MIDI controller and sold tons of. I mean, was that was that a big sell into, um, into hip-hop and R&B? Actually, the, I, um, I understand it was huge. I didn't really get into it much. Um, but I do know that when I saw the new Trigger Finger, there was a lot of people that, you know, were hitting me up because uh, they knew I was at NAMM and, and checked it out. A lot of people were interested in it. Um, and then it has the addition of, of the, um, you know, the sequencer, sequencer at the yeah. bottem, the, the sort of step sequencer or whatever it is. And so, I mean, a lot of people were interested in it. But you know what? It, what what's killing me is that 
it seems that uh, a lot of the a lot of the 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 NPC, the name, the usage of the pads is kind of it's bastardized. It's on everything. So it's it's with uh, you know everything they got turntable setups with NPC pads, and it's always genuine NPC pads. And but I got to tell you, when I touch these things, they're all a little different as far as the feel and touch. However, I am um, thinking about checking out that that. Uh, the piece you, you just mentioned, sorry, I'm drawing a blank. Tr- I got trigger finger pro. Some stuff here. Yeah, yeah the, the trigger finger pro. But, you know, it, it's not one of the things that I'm super into, but I do know a lot of cats that's looking forward to it and, and can't wait till it comes out. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely one of the original pieces there, and, and it does have a nice feel on the pads, this one particularly. Yeah, um, I would say that as well. I think I just want to yeah. say uh, Captain Bird's Eye Fish Finger Pro. Very good there. Nice gag in the uh, chat room there by Sonic Hedgehog. Um, the, the other thing about the Trigger Finger Pro is it comes with this kind of uh, like uh, plug-in host that you can bring. The There's a there's a, a plug-in that's called uh, Air Drums, which allows you to address 64 pads of sample layering and, and that sort of thing. And that actually is quite interesting because then you get the... It, it, there's an Arsenal protocol. It does MIDI protocol. It does Mackie and Huey. So you can granularize various different parts. You can have the pads as MIDI or Mackie or Arsenal. You can have the knobs as uh, as uh, either of those. You can have the faders as either of those and the buttons and the transport. And, you know, so there's quite a lot of... That's the other thing that's quite interesting about it. But So it allows you to access the parameters of any plugin that you pull into the host, which can then run as a plugin inside your DAW. So they've, it's quite an interesting, elegant way of doing things. Um, so, you know, that's quite interesting. I know, Jem, is, you're a keyboard player, right? I mean, have you got any pads in your setup? Does it, do they have a place? Um, I had Machine for a bit, and I didn't understand it, so I sold it. Um, just because it's that, it's that host within a host thing I find a bit hard to get my head around. Because it's almost like you kind of you like baked your cake, and then you put another cake in the middle of it. I don't know, it's just a bit... Seems a bit odd. I see what you mean. But I think that's maybe that's because I'm a keyboard player, you know. And I had push for a while, which was great, but then I got the little Nervation Mini thing, which runs the sort of push style sort of zoning on it, and I'm using that now, trying to sort of get the hang of it. All right, okay. Um, yeah, it's 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 I don't know. It's one more thing to lose, or for my kids to break or eat. Yeah, I can see where you're going with that. But, I mean, it's a, it's a different interface, but it's a standard, isn't it? Mm. Gaz, I mean, I know you were big in machine, and uh, you looked at um, you, you looked at the uh, machine. Oh, God, I've, put my, I've got a blank now. Uh, are you using uh, pads in your setup? I mean, is this something, you know, that you consider? Because I must admit, when I first got it, I was like, huh? I didn't get it. And But it comes with a massive bank of uh, actually pretty cool sounds that I didn't discover for a bit that kind of makes it more in the mould of machine. Mm. I mean, Machine is definitely the the closest uh, competitor, I suppose, to the Trigger Finger Pro. I mean, I've got lots of pads in this studio, uh, pad controllers. I've got the um, Machine, I've got the Cuneo, I've got the Korg KP, uh, I've got the uh, the Steinberg uh, PD controllers. Uh, what else have I got? I've got, I've got some others as well. So, yes, yeah, so there's plenty of pad controllers in here. Um, and I think, well, coming back to the comparison to machine, I think it'd be quite interesting um, to do a, a head-to-head with those devices, really, because machine offers loads of interest in workflows um, that go beyond maybe the initial inspiration of the MPC. But you do kind of hit these um, 
sequencing limitations with machine quite early on. And for me, that, that scuppers its use as a standalone. It's really nice working standalone. It's fantastic, you know. So rather than doing it as an embedded thing, maybe build your entire backing track within the one thing. But, you know, because we've got our DAW paradigm that we work yeah. to, when those things don't quite have enough within the standalone thing, then you need to run it inside of something. And then it starts to convolute the process a little bit. So I'm interested with it. Does Arsenal that hasn't got does that sequence in Arsenal then? No, the hardware is what happens at the, at the sequencer, and that's where it, it does the kind of mix and match does kind of get because you've got a hardware sequencer and you've got a transport control, and the transport control will work over Mackie, so it will control your host DAW, but it also controls the sequencer, and you can't decouple it. So if you've got a sequence running in it and you're trying to place it, it, it's sort of a little bit, oh, actually, I don't want that. I've got to clear the sequence. You know, so you, but you can record any sequences that you've recorded you know, in standalone mode uh, into um, a pattern and then play that back through the, in, the same instance. So, I mean, all that, it, it, it's sort of... It kind of works, but I, I think you're probably right. And in some ways, um, that's probably where the two schools differ. Because uh, Corey, like like you were saying, in the um, in a kind of MPC style, you're working with a piece of hardware and you create your music within that. It's not mm-hmm. happening in the DAW. I mean, are you finding that that you're more? I mean, I guess you use MPC as well, or have have done. Was it a difficult yeah, transition? Yeah. And is it a difficult transition to come from MPC world into DAW world? Because if you're recording vocals and stuff like that, then you kind of need that as well. But the integration is the tricky part, right? Yeah, the integration has always been that thing, that tough part about it. So when that's why when things like Machine happen and things like the RAN and Studio and all that stuff happened, where the integration to the computer became, you know, integral to the, to the, the, the usage of the those machines it was real important but see i've gone back and forth between the two i use uh logic pro so there was a point like when i moved from chicago to la um i pretty much sold everything all of my old mpc 2000 xl um and everything and i just came it, it came down to me and a controller my laptop and logic and so I had to get used to an entirely different way of working, and I worked that way for, for years, actually. And it's, kind of, it's quite a feat to figure out how to get that same swing and that same feel and that same girth, back to that term again, yep. from the, <laughs> the, the instruments uh, inside of a DAW that you would on, like, a hardware NPC. So my heart is always with, like, hardware NPCs. Even now, I, I have a, a bunch of different, like, the Cuneo and... Uh, the NPC studio and a lot of different things, but I'm still drawn back to my standalone hardware NPC because obviously too, then I have hardware sense and stuff. And I just kind of like that workflow and I don't think I'll ever grow out of that. Uh, so I'll always have some sort of hardware NPC. If, if this one was to die tonight, which maybe it did last night, but that's a different story. <laughs> but I would still end up going to get another one because I kind of like the hardware NPC standalone workflow. And when it comes to recording vocals, I like the idea of being able to track, you know, separate things then. And, you know, it kind of it's a workflow that I'm used to. It's a workflow that I love. Um, so I have a lot of different controllers, but I'm still into the hardware stuff. It's just something about um the bigness of it the fullness of it and and just that the all the limitations too though that 
kind of makes you a little more creative and expands your workflow a little bit. That's really interesting when you consider the hardware offers. Not only there's that that quantized vibe, which is something that is very specific to you know, the sound of beats, certain kind of beats, but also the sound of the A to D. So you've got both of those things in the same thing. I, I, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. And replacing that is, is a big ass. Sorry, Gaz. Nick, yeah, I'd just like to, um, can I just ask, with the trigger finger then, is it class compliant MIDI? So could you use it with the iPad, for instance? You know what? I didn't even check. I didn't because, even uh, check, but I, I was kind of so tied up with, with the whole package of Arsenal and what have you. I, I don't see mm. why not. Um, it may not have enough power because there's a lot of lights on it and a big screen. You probably need to run it through uh, sure. a, the USB um, uh, hub to, to get that. But it's, it, mm. I guess it's possible. I suppose the thing is you'd have to set everything to be MIDI mode rather than Arsenal or uh, Mackie or Huey because those things would be kind of irrelevant to most apps on the ipad right well you know the impc pro is going to be out pretty soon and i think that's going to give mpc users uh or machine users a real alternative with the ipad i think it looks pretty good i don't know until i get yeah, my hands on it just I how agree. good it'll be yeah mm. uh, take away Corey. tell me what you think because i'm interested oh yeah yeah i've been checking it out and, and uh what, what do they have the mpc pro log or something like that so i've been checking those out a lot and it looks like i gotta tell you i was not nice to the original impc mm. i reviewed it. it it got like two and a half stars and mind you i don't like doing stars and ratings anymore i just like to give my opinion and let the people run with that but at that point, I was given ratings and stars, um, and it got two, maybe two and a half. I was not impressed with it, and, and I still used it a little bit. Um, but I, I mean, if if they're going to call it an NPC, it needs to have the functionality and the soul of the NPC. You know what I mean? It can't be a stripped down version with the interface that looks like an NPC. Um, and you know, I mean, it, it's it's like a Harley Davidson or guys who are into stuff like that, right? People are diehard. Harley dudes, MPC heads are the same way. So if you're gonna do an iPad app that's uh, for MP, that's aimed at saying, "Hey, MPC dudes, here's something you could throw on your iPad and have that same functionality." Well, it better have the same functionality. And I think bringing it back around, I think that the IMPC Pro is headed in that direction. And obviously, I haven't got my hands on it, so I don't know for sure. But some of the mm -hmm. things that I've seen and some of the functionality, it, it looks good so far. I'd be interested mm. to, to to really see what they've done this time around and how they... Because, I mean, they got a lot of complaints. <laughs> I mean, right. well, that's what the NPC forums is, right? It's kind of like the stitching bitch. <laughs> 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 so the guys that are developing those things, they frequent those places and they figure out where they've gone wrong or what they need to do going forward. And I think that RetroNims has probably done that and it looks like they've stepped up quite a bit. Mm. It's just a shame, it seems, that they've dropped the fly, the uh, hardware fly, because that looked like a nice thing. It put you, you know, it made your iPad embedded into a, into like a hardware MPC kind of thing. But the um, mm -hmm. the MPC element, I, I guess they've had their fingers burnt, haven't they? Because Apple changed the uh, the Lightning connector, as we well know, <laughs> so that the fly is only uh, a thirty pin. Ah, and thus, yeah, that's yeah. gonna and, hurt. Isn't and, it? And, and they had to so they, warehouse of those things and they had to blow out all of a sudden, right? Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. But yeah. but I mean I wonder now if you're running a sort of late version iPad that's a thirty pin, if you could get hold of a fly and the IMPC Pro software when it drops, then that could be quite a neat little, you know, bundle. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Hey, as a matter of fact, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember where I heard this, but it was probably on the video, the the IMPC Pro Prologue, um, where I think they said that you can actually buy an element or the fly, you know, from some part of the application where it'll take you to the website and you can buy one of them. So apparently they're still pushing the fly. But that's going to be a tough move to keep up with the way Apple changes things with every iteration of the iPad. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see how that works out. But, yeah, that, when, the, when the first line, the, the Ren, the studio, and the, the Fly were announced, I was most excited about the Fly because thinking of being mobile and having that sort of like almost pocket NPC you could throw in your bag and be so uh, mobile about it and still be able to flip that out like on a commuter train or on a flight or an airport or something. I was excited about that. I was kind of disappointed to see it didn't really work out. Well, the IMPC software that that was it did it was pretty sucky, really, wasn't it? It was not. A, <laughs> it was not an inspiring place Say to like me. Mean it. <laughs> no, not at all. It's interesting that we're talking about uh, the changing of format connectors. You see what I did there? There's a real because uh, uh, Jem, you brought up a, 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 an a, a, an article that came out recently, oh, yeah. which was uh, uh, ah, I don't know if I have it here, but it's to do with uh, maybe Apple saying goodbye to the. Um, to the notion of the 3.5 mil jack, uh, there's an article here. If I could just get it to load in time for me to switch to it, there we go. It's just it's a speculative one. It's fair to say it's by a guy called Marco Tabini uh, on MacWorld, and it's he's wondering whether or not it's actually likely to happen because obviously, as we know, uh, Apple have bought Beats, a major <coughs> headphone manufacturer, thinking about maybe getting rid of the. Um, the 3.5 inch jack for headphones uh kind of a, a scary prospect when you consider you know how many <laughs> sets of buds i mean not that it bothers me because i don't own any, any ios devices apart from an ipad but the sort of thing that you can imagine you know that uh, uh, that um that they might do just so that they can get control of yet another connector i, I don't know jem you you brought you you brought this one to my attention what what is it that uh that uh, that sparked your interest of this particular one. It's a bit bit of a big deal, right? Yeah, it's just, it was it was that thing of of it's like it's a sort of three and a half mil connector. I sort of view it as sort of like the sky. You know, it's just there it's in everything that you have that's sort of audio. And and it never occurred to me that that might one day not be there. And then there was that sort of thought of of well, what do you replace it with? And they're sort of saying maybe it would be part of the lightning connector or something. And then you think, you know, I'm I. I had to buy one of those USB DVD drives for all, you know, God forbid I've got these things called CDs that apparently were supposed to have burnt or thrown away. <clears throat> DVDs and, and you know, sample libraries and stuff that I sometimes have to just tool out. And it just seems to be sometimes Apple's kind of relenting. And I know progress is a great and marvellous thing, but surely occasionally with something as fundamental as a, as a headphone jack, there should be at least a bit of a cursory glance over the shoulder. Well, you would think um, so, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, I can understand that. He goes on to say, you know, one of the things is obviously, you know, that stuff gets stuck in the hole. I've had that problem myself. You know, yeah. go to listen to my audio book, my, stick my 3.5 in jack in, there's a bit of pocket fluff in there and it gets forced into the hole and then finally the connection doesn't make and you have to get that. But there's a tip. If you get a needle, you could just pick it out and it, it, it is possible to extract pocket fluff. Uh, I know, get, Robbie, I'm guessing you might, you yeah. know, you probably listen to a lot of stuff on tour, you know, carrying your stuff. You know, that's your listening device. Yeah. I mean, do you find, do you want to... Well, I mean, I thought it was interesting because I, what I'd read said that um, that it, quite a lot of people were quite excited by it because they were saying that they were going to be able to port, you know, digital audio at 48 um, killer straight out, you know, and you weren't, you were going to, you were basically going to bypass having a headphone preamp. 
So in terms of quality, it would it would open up the doors for much for some much higher grade listening. Okay. So you know that that side of it, I'm interested in. I mean, the only pain in the ass with it is that, of course, if you're travelling and say you you got a nice pair of headphones that you can use with your iOS device, and then you go on tour and you go on a plane and you want to use your headphones on a plane, what are you going to do? You're not going to be able to plug it into the entertainment system on the plane, so you can. Are you going to have to have two pairs of really nice headphones on the road with you? That kind of thing's a bit annoying. I don't know if but it's been. I don't know if it's been really thought. I mean, this is a speculation, yeah. isn't it? And also, I mean, yeah, yeah okay. So, but the you sound- know, knowing Apple, they'll have an adapter of some sort. Yeah, but, but you got and, and that that'll be the other part of it. They'll be trying to yeah. uh, squeeze bleed money yeah. out of you by saying like, "Hey, but all is not lost. Here's an adapter until you get on our bus." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? The, I mean, the headphone jack has been around for a long time, you know, and we've talked yeah, about yeah. it. So we don't want to get into that usual thing about, you know, the, the time scale of things. But I mean, the headphone jack has been around, like you said, since the dawn of man almost. Yeah, 1800s so, I mean, for telephone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I mean, it's, it's, it's not inconceivable to think of a change. Yeah, like, but like Jem said, it's just a bit, bit like we've never been confronted with that because it's been around for so long. But I mean, yeah. And also, frankly, I mean, there's a couple of other issues here, which is, you know, yes, so you get the digital audio coming straight out of the thing. Then, So what? There's going to be somehow a higher quality D to A converter in the thing that's the size of a mini jack in your headphones. I mean, I don't think so. But they can power it. That's the other thing, isn't it? The, the, the other key thing about it is that they've said that they're and looking they can... into um, they're looking into like noise cancelling stuff like Bose and other people, and they're going to be able to directly power those kind of things in headphones from right. the lightning, which which other headphones have to have like a battery pack with. So it will open up more possible applications for headphones. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. Mm. What it does, what needs to be reminded though, I think, is when uh, Apple did the change, the Lightning 30 pin to Lightning port. Now, virtually every other manufacturer, if you bought something that had a slightly unusual connector, you would get a bunch of adapters in the packaging, but not Apple. Apple mean, you know, Apple are very mean in that department. (laughs) Uh, And Forbes magazine. Uh, published a report where they said that Apple was set to make a billion dollars in their first year from the sale of lightning to 30 pin adapters alone. <laughs> a, bill- a billion dollars. <laughs> wow. You know, so yeah. you look at the kind of acquisition of Beats and what was that? Was that 3.3? 3, 3.3, yeah. Something like that. Okay. You know, and it's like, well, straight away, you know, they can pull back a load of that just in the in the lightning to he- three, you know, 3.5 millimeter yeah, adapters. You know. A third of your recoupment. But I have to say, uh, I mean, the other thing is, you know, Barry, what, what I find quite interesting, this is, I mean, this is the sort of thing that would change, would affect so many people because, you know, everybody listens to their audio book on the way to work, whatever it may, they may do. And if they are all forced to adopt this new thing or, or if they want to use Beats headphones or however it will, or you can only use Beats headphones with an iOS device. How about that? There's another tie-in. But, you know, you, something as small as an in, insignificant as a 3.5 mil jack could actually, you know, if it, if it went really badly wrong, could bring both companies to their knees, which would be really <laughs> be a bit bizarre thought. I don't know if that would ever happen, but could think of that, you know, a sort of two-cent plastic moulded component could actually be the cause for an enormous amount of uh, of uh, <laughs> dissent and, you know, maybe not buying it. It's interesting. Let's Those hope are... so. <laughs> <laughs> you want to... oh, come on, you... 
I don't know. I know, but it, it, it seems it seems to me like you know, it could be considered. It's the perception of it, isn't it? It, it, it might be considered to be a very conceited sort of move, and it's like, well, look, guys, don't you have enough money You're already? Very Apple. Yeah. Don't you have yeah, enough? Yeah, very Apple yeah, sort of move. Right? Yeah, but but yeah. but. Uh, sorry, Robbie, was that you? Every time, haven't we? We've all raised our eyebrow every time some they've gone, right, we're getting rid of whatever, we're getting rid of floppy drives, we're getting rid of this, we're getting rid of that, we're on to the new, and we've all gone, oh, no, we're going to have to upgrade everything. You know, but, I mean, you know, everybody eventually just goes with it and moves on. Well, that's true. That's true, but we also got to bear in mind, okay, so we get these new digital, uh, perfect, pristine quality headphones, and we're still listening to the majority of our library in, you know, 128 kbps mp3, so what... Unless yeah, then, that's, but that's then, the then we have to upload. Then we have to increase the size of all the audio. Then we have to increase the storage. Of the, you know, it's just yeah. it, it fuels the continual turnover of I must have more new stuff because I can't keep up. You know, it's just it's hard, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I, I like the well, fact that I could use a pair of £12 headphones, you know, for yeah. for everything. It's that thing with the phone. I mean, if, if, if you were going to... I know everybody said this is all, this is all hearsay at the moment anyway, but it really is. It's, just, it's a three and a half millimetre hole. I mean, if they want to get rid of that, they really have run out of things to faff around with. Yeah, I you suppose. Know, you can have both as an option, but it's just leave it there. It's fine. Yeah, I think I so. I mean, they could, they, could, they could roll out um, lightning headphones now, couldn't they? I mean, that would be possibly yeah. the sensible thing to see to see what the kind of uptake is. But, I mean, it's mm. not the way, is it? It's like we have to get rid of the other option first so everyone I, has to do the other option. The, the yeah. One good reason to get to ditch it, though, is it's always been the weak spot for water getting into your system. Yeah. You know, so maybe there is some advantage. Mm. <laughs> Could release a little eye cap. Deep sea divers. Yeah, I, yeah, <laughs> b- b- swim Yeah, I, I'm not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I I tend not to use my electronic listening devices in uh, areas Under of intense mo- moisture, if I can help it. But um, yeah, yeah, I guess there's a point. Uh, anyway, I mean, I, I, I kind of more a bit of a fun there, and a kind of riffing on the notion that you know how could what what would happen if you did want to change absolutely everything? But uh, yeah, wireless again, you know, how about that? Hey, that's not a bad. I think I could cope with maybe changing the headphone ba- batteries in my in my wireless outfit. I don't know. Um, so I think that probably brings us pretty much to the end. Oh, apart from the uh, there's a ton of new sounds. Actually, we should just quickly look here. I just wanted to see. Um, and Navy Instruments got 50% off updates, upgrades, and, and crossgrades for their complete range. This is traditionally summer is when you see a ton of sound libraries, sample packs, plug-in updates, and what have you coming in. Because it's quiet, but uh, I'm wondering about the wisdom of releasing any kind of new sounds in the summer. I mean, do when as as professional you know users of sounds or whatever, when do you tend to think about upgrading your sound library or adding something new to it and when you when you know when do you need to do that what's the what what do you gem how, how do you deal with that i mean do you just go oh i like the sound of that i'll do it now or do you have is there a time of year when you think this is a good time for me to consider you know refreshing my palette of sounds or whatever i mean obviously you've just bought a load of analog stuff so you're fine but generally speaking <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know i tend to be when i'm doing like media work and sort of music writing music for radio stuff it tends to be I'll, I'll oh, God, I need a crop horn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It'll tend to be, well, if only I had, and then I'll tend to trawl around a bit. So I don't really ever sort of wake up in the morning and think, oh, I, you know, I had a sousaphone. That's why I, I need sousaphones in my life. Everybody so needs kinda, that. Yeah, exactly. And just, it tends to be like emails and, you know, people at work would say, oh, have you seen this? Or more importantly, it tends to be um, uh, professional sonic envy. 
Ah, yeah. Well, I guess in the composition world, that's very much the case, isn't it? The, 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 the having a sound that nobody else has got or that nobody else has used that much yet, I suppose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, I mean, I'm tending to use a lot of sounds. I mean, I, I like with the roads here and the monopoly and the profits, sticking it through things like guitar rig, you come up with a whole bunch of sounds that, that no one's got anyway. So that tends to be, oh, I've given the demo. Oh, God, Jen, what have you done? <laughs> Sorry, I'll edit that out. Maybe. That's uh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right, Robbie, how about you? I'm, yeah, I'm guessing because you have to be careful, don't you? Your rig is working the whole time. You don't want to suddenly just go, oh, I'll just install this massive library and see if it... I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, mean I do buy quite a lot of libraries, particularly when I start... If, if I've got a film project coming up, then I think, right, okay, this is the type of film, you know, I might be, you know, want to kind of expand with this and that. But I, I kind of tend to do it as I go along because I think I'd be very scared if I... If I was, if I got a list of things I wanted to buy all year and I bought them in one go, <laughs> I'd suddenly, I'd suddenly have a pang of conscience about the amount of money I'd spent. <laughs> so no, I mean, I try and I try and do it gradually. But I've got certain key companies who I really, really love their stuff from, and I'm always take notice when they've got new stuff coming out. Right. So it's 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 my release time. How about you then, Corey? Where do you kind of? I mean, obviously, you've just you're, you're going to be starting uh, down the modular rabbit hole, so you can spend as much as you like for as often, uh, for almost an indefinite amount of time. But in terms of libraries and those kind of things, where do you? How do you kind of tend to work? Well, you know, um, when it comes to say native instrument stuff or or even plugins from places like UAD and stuff, I'm usually that's usually driven by some email that comes out mid year and in the fall, like late year. Because there's huge sales around that time. And and what happens is the the smaller companies tend to fall in line along with those sales. So it's kinda like this thing that's driven by you know, the bigger company says it's, it's half the year is gone, we're offering 50% off. But then I'll notice a lot of the small sound designers will start doing the same thing. Uh, but me, it's usually, for my own personal thing, it's usually driven by if I want something new and fresh or if I'm looking for something. Because I tend to grab the same kits over and over. Like once I kind of have a kit that I like, I'll grab that over and over until I realize like I've used the crap out of that. That's enough. Then, then, I'm, then I'm motivated to go try to find something else. So, I mean, it's, it, it depends on what's happening. Um, I'm always looking for newer and better synth sounds. It, it can be an addiction onto itself trying to find the perfect roads. Um, but, so, I mean, it depends. It depends on what's going on. And plus, I keep up with what's coming out new from different sound designers, too. So, um, as far as like with hip hop and boom bap and stuff, so if something new and stuff is coming out or new breaks, uh, right. new break beat libraries, then I'm always keeping up on that because you know hip hop is driven from kind of that break beat sound, and there's a lot of cats out there doing brand new breaks where they've studied the way uh, vintage music was made or old music was made, and they go and get out vintage equipment and they record fresh new breaks with all of the old equipment. It kind of sounds like that old break sound. So right. I pay attention to a lot of that stuff. It depends, though. It really depends on what I got, what I have a need for. Oh, interesting. The chat room is riffing, very uh, 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 enjoying the concept of a perhaps a virtual sousaphone, the wearable <laughs> MIDI controller. Um, the uh, the sousaphone ultimately, yeah, Hiltonius, in fact. Rich is in the chat room. Nice to see you, Rich. Uh, uh, yeah, that sounds like it could be interesting. And, uh, of course, the whole concept of... Um, there's the Yamaha silent trumpets. Maybe there'll be a Yamaha silent sousaphone. But uh, I'm guessing the convenience of having... 
a sousaphone in by its very nature is massively inconvenient because it's that if those you don't know what it is it's that trumpet that you basically wear wrapped around you and it has a massive great kind of bell <laughs> i know gaz you like the idea of that you, you think you're taking up the sousaphone sort of thing that every every musician of a certain age should maybe have on the wall somewhere Oh, yeah. I, it's a really funky instrument, the sousaphone. I mean, you can joke about it, but I mean, if you see like Dirty Dozen Brass Band mm. or um, the Rebirth Brass Band or uh, oh, oh there's, there's other guys as well. What a funky sound a sousaphone is. So, I mean, that, get, that really gets me dancing when I hear a sousaphone. So, yeah, I mean, joking aside, I think it is a contender for one of the funkiest instruments on the planet. It certainly goes low. Isn't it? I remember there was a band with a guy called Ashley Slater, uh, who was a trombone player, and he did uh, that thing with uh, Norman Cook, didn't he? Uh, some yeah. people, I can't remember the name of the band, but he toured with uh, a big brass uh band and they, they he didn't have a sousaphone the guy had a tuba and he mic'd it up and he put it through a uh, a bass combo and it just sounded amazing actually it sounded really good so yeah i'm, I'm all for that maybe we should uh, see if we can who can we lobby let's find out i well, seem to remember a kid, Sorry. On, on, um, a kid on fame back in the 80s was very unpopular who played the sousaphone oh yeah but all that stuff comes around goes around you know it's like now since Harry Potter, wearing my daughter wears glasses and we were worried at the stigma. Now she's super cool because she actually wears glasses. You know, and now there are loads of kids in her class who actually wear glasses that have clear lenses in them. Now. Oh, that's not crime, that is. Yeah, I think so too. Get yourself an uh, eye pro- Get yourself an eye problem first, then you've earned the right. Uh, <laughs> the Hypnotic Brass Ensemble, that's who I was trying to think of. Young guys, American band. I think they're all brothers, I think. Oh, uh, wow. Ten of them all play different brass, but sousaphone. So good. So good. Awesome. Uh, well, the best, the best thing is, like, as you say, Nick, if you ever find yourself in a motorway service station at four in the morning, you can sleep in it. That's very true. <laughs> you can curl up and curl around it. Well, I think that's probably a good time for us to stop. There's a couple of people I want to thank. Obviously, I want to say thanks to Rich. I don't know if you saw this, but yesterday, Rich, uh, my guitars editor, wrote a piece about uh, Keith Richards' guitars that he played that weren't Telecasters and uh, Keith himself retweeted it and we at one point we had nearly 700 people looking at that story at one time yesterday it had 100,000 page views that story in three hours yesterday it was mental and the server didn't fall over but the other one I want to to thank is uh, Carlos I hope I pronounced this right Sancia Dravas who is uh, sending us a little MIDI control project that I think will run on Raspberry Pi mine's not here at the moment but it was a sort of thank you to him for for for, the, for this show, so from him for this show. So I want to say thanks to, to Carlos. I will check that. I think he's in the uh, chat room as well. So, uh, yes, big props. Thank you very much. But now we're going to say goodbye to our uh, our panel. We'll start with you, Gaz. Thanks very much for coming in. Girl, your base tree's growing. Have you been watering it? Uh, yeah, we've got another one coming as well this week. Another tree or another base? Another base. Uh, and I'm going to string it as a piccolo base, which is an octave higher. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh. Cool, that uh, sounds good. And a mini rig, look. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, you got it. The mini rig sub. Oh, right, which, cool. Uh, so, oops. So the mini rig. Oh, yeah, we that, saw the, yeah, that's the little powered yeah, thing. The little yeah. one. The sub. And then the mini rig sub, which is ported at one end and got the speaker. So it looks just like, they look exactly the same. Comes with luggage as well. I mean, what's not to like? Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, if you're looking for. A mobile rig. Wow. I mean, it just sounds great when you put synths through it. it oh, really I'm going to have to check yeah. that out, guys. I know they're Bristol-based. Uh, yeah. Are they Bristol-based? I think they are as yeah. well. So, but yeah. But there's analog, analog limiters in them. They're built like almost like mini battery-powered. Tour bus. 
Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Gaz. GazWilliams.me. Uh, do check him out. And uh, Gaz will be appearing in a uh, Bitwig special quite soon on Sonic State. I was uh, running out today. And, of course, uh, thank you very much, Robbie Bronneman, who is between gigs. You're probably you're not playing Glastonbury this weekend, then? No, no, but I'll hear it from where I am. Yeah, that's probably true. Or the rain. <laughs> Uh, apparently it's yeah. going to rain. I'm supposed to be going camping this weekend, so not at Glastonbury, uh, so I know it's going to rain. Anyway, Robbie, thank you very much for joining us as well. Right. Pleasure to have you. And Jem Godfrey, also, thank you very much for joining us. It's great to have you back anytime you're around. I know uh, you're a busy guy, so uh, somehow our Wednesdays have conspired to uh, to keep you away from us, but do come back soon. Oh. I just say I'm busy. I'm not actually. Busy. Yeah, well, or either that. Just nod and smile, and you know, we'll, right. we'll say no Thank more about much. it. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> and of course, Cory Banks over there uh, in the uh, west coast of the states. B Boy Tech Report. You can check out his writings on uh, music technology. Thank you very much for joining me too, and I hope your furniture arrived okay. Yeah, it did actually. I'm, I don't know if you guys heard the dog barking when the delivery guys got here, but. Yeah, it's, it's all good now. Excellent. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for having me, man. I look forward to being back again next week, and yeah. I'll try to make it more often. Um, got a couple of reviews coming up. I don't know if anybody's interested in this Ah, MPK249. Uh, is that the one with the CV? A gate output? Or is that the oh, no, actually, that's it's the not. It's just the, the 249, the upgrade from the, uh, the 49, which I used for years exclusively when I sold all my gear. So I'm interested to check this out. So I got a, a little bit of work ahead of me in, uh, with reviews, but there's, you know, stay tuned. And for those that frequent the site, bear with me. I'm a guy that works and goes to school and, you know, does blogging and family man. So, you know, um, I'll get it all done. Bear with me. Thank you very much, Corey, and thank you very much to everybody. Thanks to all in the chat room, of course. And just before we go, I said I would uh, would mention the competition again. Isotope, of course, sponsor of the show. If you want to win a copy of Isotope Iris, you need to tweet the hashtag sound design that's two d's to at sonic nick and at isotope inc and uh we will pick a random winner from the um all of the people and of course if you're watching this on youtube please do subscribe uh, it's very important that we uh, build our subscriber numbers it gives yourself some more kudos it makes me feel loved not that i'm not i don't feel loved anyway but i want to get the numbers <laughs> up i want to get a youtube plaque so subscribe and if you know anyone else subscribe for them if you've got access to their account subscribe for them they won't notice Anyway, thank you very much. That's it for this week. Uh, We will now um, fade to black and see you later. Bye.